Good morning. Couldn't you just feel the energy? Well, praise God. Uh, this morning, as Dane announced, uh, we're going to be talking about the promise of His presence among us and in us. I have many memories going to the Catholic Church as a little boy. And the procedure was always the same. Upon entering the church, one would pass a basin of water, which was called holy. I would dip my finger in that water, touch my forehead, and then complete the sign of the cross. Like this. I don't think I've forgotten. Uh, if I happened to go across the center aisle, I would genuflect. You know what that word means? It means you would bend the knee and bow your head in worship. And then you would continue to the other side. For a long time, I followed this procedure, and my friends who were Catholics did the same thing. But one day I asked myself, why did I do this? Why did everybody in the church, including the priest, follow this procedure? I finally got the answer, and this is what I was told. At the front of the church was the main altar, or the high altar. And in the main altar there was a little cabinet. And inside that cabinet was a golden chalice or cup. And inside the cup was the sacred host, which we were told was the actual body of our Lord. And a person bent his knee while crossing the center aisle because you would cross that, the line from that little cabinet which contained the body of our Lord. And uh, that's how I was introduced to the concept of the presence of our Lord. That this was very important. That it demanded of me great, great respect, worship, and reverence. And so this morning, I want to think about the presence of our Lord. If you have your Bibles, there are three passages that I want to read. First of all, in the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 through 17. Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 through 17. Verse 14. And he said, that is God. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us? so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, 
I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is, which translated means God with us. Then the last verse of Matthew chapter 28. 28 and verse 20. Jesus is giving some instructions to his followers. And he tells, gave them these instructions. And that last verse, teaching them, that is future disciples, to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And may God bless his word to us. Shall we pray for just a moment? Father, it's an awesome thing to remember that you are in our presence, that we are in your presence. And Father, we do indeed bow our knee before you and acknowledge you as Lord. Thank you, Father, for being with us, for indwelling us by your Spirit. And so, Father, we do pray that uh, your name will be glorified uh, this morning as we think of this uh, wonderful promise that you have made to us to be with us. Thank you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the remarkable things that I learned in this study of the presence of our Lord is that the whole universe is filled with God's presence. And the Bible is filled with indications of His presence. And the presence of God is completely bound up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to mention just a few of the scriptures that tell us of the presence of God in our universe. And it starts right at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Well, who else in the beginning? Who else if not God? Before light was created, God was there. Before the heavens were created, God was there. Before the earth was created, God was there. Before the vegetation, before the stars, the moon, the living creatures, man, God was there. Nothing preceded God. His presence was always there. Always. I don't know if you're impressed with that, but I sure am. 
One of the compound names of God, and in the Old Testament there are a number of names for God. Jehovah said, can you, for example, God our righteousness. Jehovah Nissi, God our banner. But there's one name that we don't often hear, and it's in the last verse of the book of Ezekiel. You don't need to turn to it. And that compound name of God there is Jehovah Shammah. And that means the God who is there. He's there. He's here. Psalm 19 and verse 1 reads, The heavens are telling of the glory of God and the expanse is declaring the work of His hands. What are the heavens telling us? And what is the expanse of the heavens declaring? I think what they're declaring and telling us is that the divine presence is there. In Job chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, God asks Job 40 questions. And needless to say, Job is not able to answer a single one of those questions. I think he must have fallen flat on his back when he heard the first question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Wow. In Job 42, verse 6, Job says to God, I had heard of you with the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. My eye sees you. I am aware of your presence. And when one is aware of the presence of God, the Catholics say you genuflect. Job says, I repented in dust and ashes. The reason I wanted to read from the book of Exodus chapter 33 is because I want all of us to notice verse 16. And I want to reread that to you. If you want to turn to it, it's fine. Exodus chapter 33, verse 16. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? How can I know that you're blessing me? How can I know that you're receiving me? How can I know, God, that you love me? How can I know that? The rest of the verse. Is it not by your going with us so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? What distinguished Israel from all other people? What was it that distinguished them? It was one great feature that the text tells us. And that feature was the promise of the presence of God in their midst. Everything else was secondary. And here is further promise of our Lord to Moses in verse 14. My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And with this promise, Israel's ultimate rest in Canaan, was assured. 
How could Moses know this? Because of the presence of God that went with them. You know, Moses says in verse 15, I'm going over these verses again, but uh, uh, forgive me. In verse 15, Moses says, If your presence does not go with us, don't send us. We don't want to go. There's no point in going on without you, Moses says. No point. Dear friends, what is it that distinguishes a believer today from every other person in the world? Is it not the presence of God in us and in our midst? That's what distinguishes you and me from anybody else in the world. If we do not have the Spirit of God in us, we're not really Christians. Romans 8, verse 9. If we do not have the Spirit of God in our midst, we might, might as well pack it up and stop meeting together. For this would be a sham, a hypocritical pretense. We would be well advised to sell the building, take the money, and have a big party. But, if God is present, how could anyone possibly stay away? Would you want to miss the presence of God? When believers stop gathering together, it should tell us that we need to ask ourselves some questions. And such a question might be, do we value the promise of His presence? Do you value the promise of His presence? There are three areas related to the presence of God that I would like to discuss this morning very briefly. And I've placed these in the form of questions which I will attempt to answer. First of all, what is the promise of the presence of God to us? Secondly, where may we look in order to be aware of the presence of God? What can the presence of God mean to us? Number three. What is the promise of the presence of God? The promise of the presence of God is completely bound up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read Matthew 1, verse 23 to you, and I want to read it once more. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. The promise of the presence of God is Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us. Is God a distant God? No. He's God with us. That's not far away. Is God an uninvolved, unconcerned God? No. He's with us. Is God aware of what's going on with us? Of course He is. He's God with us. One of the great reasons... For the incarnation, for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is that He might be with us. Never, never would He leave us. 
And again, if all of this is true, if God is really present in our midst, doesn't it seem unreasonable that a triviality would keep us away? Why is it so easy to stay away and be busy with other things and miss the promise that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. In the midst, not in the periphery, not in the edges, in the midst. In the middle. We all have equal access to Him. Because He's in the middle. In the midst. What is your awareness of the presence of God? That's a question that I is worth thinking. What is your personal awareness of the presence of God? We again find the promise of God in the middle of Matthew 28 and verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there is no vagueness about that. I am with you until this era of civilization is over with. Now, the, the Greeks had a way of emphasizing words that uh, we don't exactly have in the English language. Yeah, we can take a word and we can underline it. We can put it in capital letters. Uh, we can make it bold type, bold face. But the Greeks had a unique way of uh, uh, emphasizing words. And we have this word low is an emphatic word. Low. Take note. Pay close attention. Look, I am with you. And the word I, I, I myself, no one else. I am with you. Always. It's day in, day out. And we think of these days following each other one by one with their trials and their troubles and their difficulties, but each day also accompanied by the assurance, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And this continues on and on until the age is over. And then, even after that, there is nothing to fear as we anticipate the call of God at the time we call the rapture. And the scripture says, and so we shall be forever with the Lord. Wow. Matthew's gospel is interesting. At the very beginning, in the middle, and at the end, we have the promise of the presence of God. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he's Emmanuel, God with us. That's at the beginning. In the middle, we have Matthew 18 and verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And then at the end, the very last verse, the very last line, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. There are so many promises and so little time. But let me give you one last promise with little or no comment. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 43 
gives us the words of Jesus to the penitent thief on the cross who who requested that he be remembered when Jesus came into his kingdom. Remember that? Notice carefully the words of Jesus. He said to that penitent thief, Truly I say to you, today, today you shall be with me in paradise. Even death doesn't separate the believer from the presence of God. The dying thief was promised that that very day he was with him on, right next to him on the cross, on a, on a cross, but that very day he would also be with him up there. Now, the second question I want to think about is, where besides the gathering of believers may we look in order to be aware of the presence of God? And I want to mention just one place in the interest of time. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. A dynamite verse. Wow. There's a lot of those in the Bible, incidentally. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. My translation, the New American Standard Bible, reads like this. Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Question, when was the last time that you have clearly seen God's invisible attributes? That sounds a little paradoxical, doesn't it? To clearly see the invisible. Let me rephrase that question. When when was the last time you were fully aware or clearly aware of the presence of God? I don't know whether I've told this story here or not, but it uh, warrants repeating. A number of us were hiking in Yosemite. We were already up in the high country, and down below was the valley floor, and over here was El Capitan and Yosemite Falls, and before us was Half Dome. Just awesome. And at a particular moment of silence, one of our company, a non-Christian medical doctor, said to the rest of us, What's the matter with you Christians? And then he called out at the top of his lungs, Thank you, God. I think he clearly saw the invisible attributes of God. His eternal power. The psalmist cried out, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The presence of God is so pervasive, it is impossible to get away from it. The imprint of God is on our universe. 
and it involves us, it behooves us to worship in His presence. The last thing I want to talk about is what the presence of God can mean in our lives. Acts chapter 4 has one of those wonderful stories that carries a great impact. And you might want to see for yourself this marvelous text. Peter and John have been jailed because of their preaching. And after spending the night in jail, the following day they're put on trial before Annas and Caiaphas and some others. And you will remember that these were the very ones who had manipulated the crowds against Jesus and called for his crucifixion. How would you like to be uh, tried before some characters like that? Well, Peter and John are questioned. And they fearlessly respond to their questions and present the message of Christ and salvation in Christ alone. Now, I want you to notice verse 13 now. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 13. Now, as they observed, and the they is uh, Ananias and, and Caiaphas and some others there. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Okay? You got that? The text mentions two things that the presence of Jesus made in the life of Peter and John. And the difference was obvious to the high council of the Jews called the Sanhedrin. In our text in verse 5, it calls them rulers, elders, and scribes. The difference that they saw in these men was this. They saw the confidence of Peter and John. And this is no small thing. The disciples were nothing but confident. They had forsaken Jesus. Peter had denied him three times. They had gone into hiding behind closed doors. The divine presence in their lives made the difference of whether they would be confident now or whether they would be shaking in their boots. They were confident. Difference number two. Peter and John were observed to be uneducated and untrained men. The word ordinary in the Greek is the word idiotes. I think you can make out that word in English, right? Yeah. What difference did it make that Peter and John had been with Jesus, had been in his presence? It didn't matter that Peter and John were untrained. It didn't matter that they were called idiotes. Here were Peter and John up against the highest authority in the land, the Sanhedrin. They were up against educated and trained people. Something they were not. The scribes were the lawyers of that day. 
How could they possibly stand up against these people? Answer, they had been with Jesus. They had been in the presence of our Lord. And I trust that speaks to us. Don't you want to be a little bit more like Peter and John? than The Peter and John we see in this chapter. One needs to spend time in the presence of our Lord. In the scriptures. Seeing him freshly. Meditating on some aspect of the life of Christ. One last thing that relates to how the presence of God can affect our lives is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. And I'd like to, to read this to you. Titus chapter 2, 11 to 13. It says this, For the grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Verse 11 reminds us that He personally appeared. We had the presence of Jesus. He personally appeared. Verse 13 tells us that this same Jesus is going to personally appear again. You and I live in the in-between times of His first appearing and His Appearing a second time. We live in that in-between time. And how may this affect us? Well, let me tell you how it affects me. It gives me a sense of excitement. Because when I say we live in the in-between time, if this was his first appearing and this is his second appearing, I think we're right about here. You know. So it gives me a sense of excitement, of anticipation, of eagerness for that day. Jesus is coming. You know, we know the presence of God by faith. But when He comes again, we'll see Him as He is. So that excites me. Gives me that sense of thrill of anticipation. It also tells me that my opportunities of living, of witnessing, of worshiping are now today. I don't know about tomorrow. Right now. Let me recap. What distinguishes every believer is the presence of God in their life. Can you imagine the Creator of heaven and earth coming to reside in a vessel like mine? I don't know what to say. 
But that's what distinguishes you and me, every believer, from every other person in the world. The presence of God is visible through the things that God has made. The presence of God is contained in the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God encourages, gives me courage to witness, to live godly, to worship. And may we all be aware of the presence of God as we gather in this place. Now, I have a question that's not for everybody. It's a question that's probably for the relative few. But I feel I need to ask this question. Do you know the presence of God in your life right now? Do you? Do you know? Second question, would you like to know? Would you like to know? I'd like to give every person an opportunity to know the greatest thing that could possibly ever happen to you as a person. And that greatest thing is to have the presence of God in your life. And so I'd like to close in prayer and ask if you would like to know the presence of God in your life, that you just raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I would like to know that. So let's pray. And I'd just like to encourage you to raise your hand if you would like to know the presence of God in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we say thank you, thank you, O oh Father, for this close relationship that you have brought us into the relationship of family, your children, you as our Abba Father. Lord, we give you thanks. Your presence is more than we could ever have hoped for. And we say thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for coming into the world, for being Emmanuel. God with us, for being in our presence when we gather together. And Lord, uh, in a little while we'll be leaving each other, but Lord, we don't leave you, and you don't leave us, and we give you thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.